Lord, I need you, God. Uh, this day is no different than any other day, and yet I'm uh, acutely aware that, um, that I, I need you as, as we wrap up talking about the church. Lord, will you speak to our hearts? God, will, will you... Um, Will you challenge some of the things we're just really comfortable with, Lord, and the things that we assume about, about how we live together as the body of Christ? Lord, would you, would you grow us in, in loving the church like you love the church? So, um, Lord, I need your help for that. I pray that, that you would speak, that you, you would uh, open our minds to your word and our hearts, and, and that you would change us and make, make us more and more um, into uh, the, the, the people, the, your people, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, my hope, uh, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll spend most of our time there. But my hope is uh, that by now, as we're wrapping up our series today, our mini-series, What is the Church?, um, that you are very aware that the church is not man's invention. It's not, it wasn't our idea. Uh, it wasn't our creation. It, it's an integral part of um, of God's plan for his people, uh, of God's plan for carrying out um, uh, his, his mission, our, our mission to uh, the world, to make disciples, to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves. Uh, I think Matt Q may have said this in, in the, the very first uh, sermon, or maybe the second sermon of this series, um, but, but he brought up that, that, that some people have, have suggested that, that you, can, you can love Jesus and yet not love uh, the church, and, and that uh, simply isn't true. We're, we're told uh, the church is described in Scripture as the bride of Christ, and I know it wasn't that long ago that I used this analogy, but it just seems so applicable. Back in First Peter, um, I, I had you pretend this with me, so we could pretend that, that after the service today, uh, someone just really wants to talk to me. They come up and say, "Greg, we've never met before, but I'd heard about you, um, and and I, you know, listened to a couple sermons. I was here today, and I just think, man, like we we're, we're going to be really good friends, right? And 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 I we got to get together. I want to I want to hear about how you came to know Jesus and a bit about your life and I love to tell you about God's work in me and how he saved me and I just think that we could be partners in ministry, right? And he's coming on a little strong so far, but okay, I'll, I'll take him at his word. And then he says, "But man, I, like I like you a lot, Greg, but your wife, your kids, not so much, man. They, they kind of, they kind of bug me. Like you're a good guy, but I don't, I don't see how you spend so much time with them. And, and, well, how am I going to respond to that? Right? It's not going to go well. We aren't going to grab coffee. We're not going to hang out and and talk. Right? That's my bride. You cannot talk about my bride that way. Um, those are my kids, my, my flesh and, and blood. I'm a nice guy. But I'm not letting that slide. It's foolish to think that we could look at the church, Christ's bride, God's family, and, 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 and not, not have a respect for and even a love for the church as Christ does, whom he has purchased with his blood. So it's, it's foolish to, to talk about the bride of Christ that way and, and think for a moment that, that we, can, we can love Jesus but not love the church. 
his bride whom he loves. So instead, we need to ask ourselves, how do I love the church like Christ loves the church? What are my thoughts towards the church? What's my, how do I treat the church? What are my responsibilities toward the church? Am I committed to a local church? I imagine we might have some people from out of town today. Back home, are you committed to your local church? Because God loves the church. I read a document this week from a church up north in Seattle, actually Hope Rector's church. I don't know if Hope's here or not, but, but her, her church, um, it wrote this about Christ's love for the church. And I, I love this. Uh, they said it's safe to say that there's nothing outside of the Trinity that God loves more than the church. I thought, man, what, what a helpful way to see that. God loves the church. So I, I want to start our sermon before we even get into what our responsibilities as members of a church. I, I want to just think about Christ and the church. He's, he's, uh, let me just blitz a bunch of things at you and then we'll go through some of them. He, he's promised to build the church. We're, we're told that he nourishes the church and cherishes the church. He sanctifies the church. Christ intercedes for the church. He, he pleads on behalf of the church. He's gifted each member of the church so that the church can, can edify one another, build one another up. Hebrews calls him uh, our, our apostle, right? Apostle means sent and our great high priest. And of course, Jesus is a spotless lamb who laid down his life for the church. And one day we're told that he will be with his church forever, forever. So Matthew 16 is, is where Jesus says, he tells Peter, I'm going to build my church. Right? Jesus Promises that, that he would see to it, see to it himself, that, that his church is built. And, and sure enough, he, he did. Secular historians um, have observed that shortly after Jesus' death, there was this small offshoot uh, religion from Judaism that, that was just nothing, just a blip on the radar. And then a couple decades later, it, it's exploded into a world religion. Right, think about how remarkable it is that Jesus took this handful of disciples, right, some, some, uh, some fishermen, tax collectors, and, and, and they were obedient to his mission. Um, they were certainly his vessel, but make no mistake, it's Christ who built his church. He, he cares deeply about his church. We're told that he is he's the head, the church is the body, and Christ is the head. A couple months ago, I was in a conversation with someone. I don't remember the details, the, all the context of the conversation. Um, but he said something to me along the lines of uh, harvest being my church, as in uh, because I'm the lead pastor, I'm like the CEO, or, or I have ownership, or something like that. And it, the, the way he spoke about the church caught me off guard, and I literally laughed out loud at him, which is probably rude. I didn't mean to be rude. Um, but, but I laughed out loud, and I said, it's not my church. It's, it's Jesus' church, right? I might be the, the lead under-shepherd, uh, but Christ is the head of his church. It, it, it isn't me. We are his. Ephesians 5 
29 tells us that, that uh, we all nourish and, and, and care for and cherish our body just like Christ nourishes and, and cherishes uh, the, the church, right? He, he feeds the church. He gives the church what it needs. We, um, our family just got a puppy uh, a few weeks ago, and I forgot, like they're super cute. I forgot how much work they are. Man, I don't know. It's been a while since we've had a, a baby in our family, and I'm sure that is harder. But right now, it feels like it's harder to have a puppy. At least a baby has a diaper. You don't stand outside with a baby in the rain waiting for it to go potty. Um, our puppy is totally dependent on us. I don't think we're crazy dog people. Um, I know there's a lot of those in the Pacific Northwest. Um, maybe some of you are some of those people. I don't know. Um, we, we have, we've taken seriously, I see that hand, we've taken seriously um, uh, feeding our dog, right? There, there's a whole range of, of, uh, of, of quality in, in, in dog product that you can buy, right? From really cruddy stuff, probably not good for your dog, to stuff that's probably better than any of us eat, right? Um, so we're, you know, somewhere in the middle. We've done some research, went to a couple stores, talked to some people. We, we're not breaking the bank on our dog food, but we're, we're, we're trying to nourish our dog. You know who doesn't skimp on nourishing? It's Christ, right? Christ is so good to nourish his church. He, he provides, and, and so often, my guess is you've experienced um, lavish provision from God. I mean, just abundant provision. And there are other times when that provision, it really seems like it's daily bread, moment by moment, God giving us what we need. Now, 2020 has certainly been a, uh, a hard year, and, and yet um, believers in Christ, we, we know that God works in all things for the good of his people. Right, for those, those he's predestined, we know that he's conforming us, his people, into the image of Christ. We know that God is so good that, like James says, we can count it pure joy when we face trials. That many, many different kinds of trials. We, we, can, we can consider it pure joy. Why? Because God is at work. We can trust that God will care for his church and I've heard it said um, this year a lot, and I've even thought it myself, man, it, it looks like Satan just wants to wreak havoc on the church. And I'm sure you've, you've probably heard um, stories about churches across the nation, maybe, maybe even across the, the world, that uh, just lots of discouragement. Some churches uh, have divided. Um, I, I read an article recently that there are more pastors, in the U.S. at least, that, that want to, that are, that are considering quitting ministry um, this year than, than in, in many previous decades in our country. And yes, it's true. Satan wants to wreak havoc on the church, but um, there's a brother in our church that two times he's very politely reminded me that we can trust that God is at work in all of this hardship, that, that God is good to, to give the church what it needs, including disciplining the church. So we can trust that God is absolutely in control, that he loves the church, he nourishes the church because he, he, he cherishes the church. We're told um, in multiple places that that Christ intercedes for the church. Hebrews 7.25 says, since he always lives to make intercession for them, right? To, to plead for the church. How great is it that Jesus, 
our high priest, the, the way they phrase it here is lives to plead for us, to make intercession for us. He, he, he continues his earthly ministry here in the present to his people and how great is his intercession for us. He cares so much for the body that we're told that he gifts every believer for the edification of the body, for the, the building up of the body of his church. Right? So you receive Christ. You are gifted with a spiritual gift that God has given you specifically for your church that you are a part of. And it is so beautiful. I don't know how often most people get to observe this. Like you get to observe some people's gifts, maybe the welcome team, people up on stage when you come on a Sunday. But I get to see a lot of the inner workings of our church in, in, in talking with different people. And I get to marvel at how God gifts his church. I get to see it um, all the time. And it's remarkable to see how God makes specific people so, so they can do really unique things. They just have this unique fit within the body. And, and I'm so grateful that God um, has, has made us the way that he has in all the different, different ways he's made us, um, in all the, the different ways, the different gifts that he's given so that we can contribute to the church. I've never met a Christian that I wished every Christian was like. I never once, because God gifts all of us, and we all have massive limitations by his design. And, and it's so good how he composes the body so that it works together. Hopefully, this is a pretty obvious application to you. Um, but I ask, are, are you using your God-designed gifting to bless your church? Are, are you participating in your church in a way that, that you get to use your gifting. And, and I know I've talked to many Christians through the years, and, and, and um, there are a lot of Christians that really doubt that God has actually gifted them. And that's part of why they hold back. They just, they don't see how God has gifted them. Man, I would encourage you to talk to someone that knows you really well, a brother, sister in Christ that knows you and ask them, hey, do you see how God has gifted me? And I bet that they have a pretty good hint or, or, or someone on staff, uh, one of our elders, we'd love to help you figure out how God has, has gifted you. And, and, and we, we grow and we mature in that gift and we bless the body. It's so good that Jesus, Jesus gifts the church. The last one out of that whole list um, of how, how Christ demonstrates, right, how he, how he feels about the church, how he loves the church, is that our spotless lamb laid down his life for the church. Right? Paul tells uh, husbands to love their wife like Christ has loved the church. <laughs> that, that's a, a pretty great um, way for husbands to understand how far they need to go because Jesus gave everything for us. He died in, in order that, that people who trust in his sacrifice could be saved from sin. So Jesus absolutely loves the church. And I ask, do you love the church? And I know maybe you're saying, well, I mean, yeah, I love the church, but I can't love it like Christ loves the church. But shouldn't we be more and more and more growing in our love for the church like Jesus? In Scripture, uh, you will not find 
uh, a picture of, of a Christian running solo for, for very long at least. Uh, the Christian life is always intertwined with the life of the church. And, and as you look at the New Testament church, the life of the believer, it's, it's interconnected with brothers and sisters in Christ. They have a unity with Christ. And we've talked about this, I think, a lot lately. They, they have a unity with Christ. And because of all these different believers unified with Christ, they have a unity with one another. And so because of that, they're committed to other believers, specifically in the context of the local church. And we, we get a great uh, picture of the local church in the book of Acts. Um, I read the beginning of this passage last week talking about baptism, be- becoming part of the local church. So I won't belabor the baptism point, um, but, but they, they came to know Christ, repented, were baptized, and joined the church. So in, in, early in Acts, Jesus has ascended the disciples. Um, they're, they're there waiting for the, the promised Holy Spirit who Jesus said would come. Uh, it's the day of Pentecost. Peter ends up preaching, and, and all these people are ready to respond. We pick up in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. So again, God opens their heart to the gospel. They they want to respond. Peter tells them, repent, be baptized. We're told that 3,000 were added that day, which, little side note, that tells me someone was keeping track. Like someone was tracking these new believers that were now part of the church because the church had responsibility, right, to these these new brothers and sisters in Christ to help them continue in Christ, to help them grow in Christ. Let's look at verses 42 and following. And and again, we just get this this little image, uh, this insight into um, how these church members um, acted towards one another. Um, and, and I think this helps us see, okay, so if, if we want to be a part of a church, what are our responsibilities um, to our church? So verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, to, uh, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So this word devoted means to be earnest towards something, to uh, persevere, be constantly diligent, to adhere closely, to give oneself continuously to they did these four things. So what the apostles taught to the fellowship with one another, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the apostles' teaching, they were committed to know the truth. There's a, a phrase that I don't know when it, it, it cropped up. I noticed it a few years ago, and, and, and I have a strong disdain for it. Uh, this phrase, my truth. Man, God has the market cornered on truth. And church, do we care about the truth? The early church certainly did. They poured over what the apostles taught. Why? Because they learned it from Jesus. Because Jesus gave them authority. And in our Bibles, we have the very words 
that they wrote down, that God inspired and gave us in the scriptures. They spoke with Christ, right? Remember the road to Emmaus, Jesus, after he resurrected, he's walking with some of them, and he walks them through the Old Testament to help them see Jesus, the Christ, in all of the Old Testament. So what we have here, we should be devoted to God's word. We should love God's word. We should work really hard, and it is hard work to, to be in the word regularly. I know that the new year's coming. There's something about the new year where a lot of us, like, man, I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to set a resolution. One of, those, one of those resolutions this year should be to read your Bible a lot more. Right? Start a Bible read-through, but don't do it by yourself. Right, grab a partner, find someone, whether it's someone in your household or a friend, but, but find someone to read uh, the Bible with this year. They were, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They loved one another. I know we've talked about this a, a little bit in the last few weeks, but um, they were brought together again by Christ. They, they were united with Christ and, and therefore united with one another. You read about the early church and you can just see they had this joy in, in being together. They loved, like I said, uh, studying what the, the apostles taught. They loved to worship God. They loved being with their church. We find that they, they spent uh, time in each other's homes, sharing meals together. Um, you probably won't be surprised to hear this, but studies have been done in churches in America. And uh, the main reason that most people come to a church service is to be with their friends, to have fellowship with one another in church. And we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Our, our reason to gather all right, on Sunday is to worship God. Now, fellowship with others, that's, that's down the list a bit, but it, it is a, a good thing. It is a gift that God has given us, but we do want to make sure that, that our primary reason isn't just to come and, and see people we really like, but our primary reason is to worship the Lord. And I'll tell you that, that if we have that in the right place, that our fellowship will be so much sweeter. What a gift it is to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So... I would encourage you, at a minimum, on a Sunday, I, you know, I know our service goes from this time to this time, and I can't remember because we just changed all of a sudden, 10 to 11, there we go. Um, uh, but budget more time than that. Budget time to, to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't split right after our service. We've talked about this. We're, we're ministers in the body. We're to be ministers of one another. Be ready to listen to a brother or sister in Christ. Be ready to ask if you can pray for someone as, as they share something from life that's, that's hard, that needs prayer. Be ready yourself to be real, to, to share yourself with others. Maybe it's, maybe it's sharing your struggles, confessing your sin. Be ready to ask for prayer for yourself. But the early church, they, they loved to fellowship. They were devoted to this fellowship with one another. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And, and the question is, okay, so is this, is this just Lord's Supper? Or is this eating a meal together? And I, I think it's, it's both. Um, I talked at length last week about, um, about taking the Lord's Supper together as his people. And this, um, this is, was a regular occurrence for them. And it's... it's uh, it seems like to, to a lot of scholars that 
that this took uh, part in like a whole meal, right? Not like we so often do it, but, but a whole meal together, they would celebrate, they would, they would receive the Lord's Supper. And I, I love that. I get how that's not practical for us every Sunday to do, but, but I love that picture and I think if that was something that we did um, uh, more often, that it would better help me imagine and long for the feast that, that, that Christ will have with his bride, with his people one day. Um, I've been to uh, many, many weddings as a pastor, but there are a couple that, uh, that stick out to me as, as real uh, joyful celebrations that, that actually reminded me and, and helped me to look forward to uh, the feast, the celebration that we will have someday with Christ. And you, you get the feeling that the, the early church um, just loved Loved, loved, loved to, to be together. And part of what they were devoted to was, was just eating together. Um, I, I uh, hung out with some people from a church. I wasn't a part of this church, but hung out with some people from a church that always joked that, the, that their motto should be, we don't eat, we don't meet. And there, there's something that's just special about sharing a meal together in, in every culture. So the, the early church, it was a big deal for them to, to, to take the Lord's Supper, to eat meals together. And lastly, they were devoted to prayer. Matthew 21, you might remember Jesus goes in the temple. He's flipping over the tables. He's, he's getting, getting rid of the, the, the people just trying to make money off other people. Um, and, and he says, um, he says uh, that his house would be a house of prayer. Right? This is something that the early church was devoted to. They knew how critical prayer was. And, and not just praying individually, which is is critical, but praying together as a church. And I hope and I assume that there are pockets of people within our body that get together to pray, and, and I just don't know you're doing it. Um, if not, man, I, I would encourage you, um, start praying more, but, but not just by yourself. Start praying with um, other people in our church. Start praying more in your household. Um, or, or, or if you get together with someone for, for any any reason of, of like spiritual growth, man, start praying more with them. Um, prayer is, is something that so easily falls by the wayside. I have a, a prayer partner. We, we, uh, we set aside a, a day um, to, to pray and fast. Um, we used to do it every other week and the pandemic hit and man, we have, we have struggled this year to do that. Um, prayer is hard work. Uh, the Bible college I went to, um, I think it was once a semester, We'd have a day um, where our classes were canceled, and we were, uh, I think it was called a day of service, and we'd go out into the community, and, and there were all these service projects lined up. And then we also had another day that was, uh, classes were canceled, and it was called a day of prayer and, and praise. And, and we would spend a lot of time singing together and a ton of time praying together. And there was this weird phenomenon that happened every time we had a day of service. It was like a mini pandemic hit our little campus, and all these people would call in, and like, <coughs> I don't think I can serve today. I'm not feeling good, right? Even worse than the day of service, this pandemic hit us uh, on our day of prayer, 
right? And one time, actually, my junior year, I legit got sick, and I, I called the nurse, and I felt, like, so guilty, and I could just feel her judgment through the phone as I told her I couldn't show up. But um, my, my Bible college was, was full of students that loved to talk theology, that loved to argue scripture and talk about how ministry was best practice. We did not love to pray. We were pretty immature there. I think that leading a prayer ministry in a church or, or in any, I guess, any Christian organization might be the most difficult. Um, a lot of churches need to grow in this area, and it's certainly true for our church. And, and part of that is we just, we haven't taught uh, enough about prayer. Uh, part of that is we haven't given enough opportunities to pray. We, we talked a little bit in our last elder meeting about that. Uh, but the good news is uh, you don't need us to do either of those to start praying now. We do need to do those uh, for us uh, as a church, but, but you can start praying now. Like I said, if you get together with, if you have a community group or someone you're reading the Bible with, I'd encourage you to, to start spending some more time in prayer together. Maybe, maybe work up to the point where, where uh, I don't know, once a quarter, instead of doing what you normally do, just have a night of prayer together. There's certainly much to pray for. You could pray for our missionaries. We have our missionaries on the back wall there. You could pray for the persecuted church. You could pray for our church. We have a lot of things to pray for. Um, if you're not on our prayer email chain, um, I, I would encourage you, if you want to pray, that would be, um, be a helpful thing to our body. We, we need you to pray. Um, we've got a lot going on with, with different people in our church, our, our staff, our elder team. We need you to pray for us. Um, we used to have on Sundays, uh, we used to have a prayer team, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of died um, uh, with, with everything that's happened. Um, but ideally, we wouldn't need a prayer team because, because our whole church would be a, a team just ready to pray, ready, ready to say to a brother or sister, hey, can I pray for you about this? And, and, and then just pray for them on the spot. Let's keep going. Verse 43 and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This picture of the early church is such a picture of unity together. They were bound together by their belief in Christ, their union with Christ. Um, I, I don't know why, but uh, two or three weeks ago, it seemed like everything in my life was just pointing me towards John 17. We call it Jesus' high priestly prayer. Like everything I thought about, everything I heard, everything I, uh, every discussion I got into, everything I read just went there. And, and um, part of Jesus' prayer is unity for his people, for his church, unity, um, unity with God and with one another. And being committed to a church means that we're striving for unity. It means that we ask for forgiveness. It means that, uh, that we work towards forgiving someone that, that maybe we really don't want to forgive. Sometimes it means um, being willing to have hard conversations. It means being patient with one another. It means speaking with one another with, with gentleness and respect and humility. It, it, it's already been said, but it means praying a lot for each other. It means sacrificing for one another. It means trusting God's word together. I, I could go on and on and on, but the church needs to strive for unity. Verse 45 
It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Um, some people take this as like Christians can't own private property. That's not what this is saying. Uh, this is... This is a, a beautiful picture of generosity that was not, it wasn't, it wasn't like forced on, on them. They, they, they gave, I think, because they realized how generous their God was. So they wanted to give, and they gave sacrificially. And um, the text doesn't say this, but I do assume that these early believers lived uh, with uh, with a, a better eternal perspective than I do, at least. And, and my guess is many of us. And, and I, I assume then that that really impacted how they viewed the possessions that they had, the finances that they had. And I think that's a good uh, part of why they were so giving. Um, and I do feel like our church is a really giving church. Just full disclosure, I don't know what anybody gives. Our elders don't know. The staff don't know. Our treasurer knows, and, and that's it. Okay, so I, I don't have a clue what people give, but I do know that that uh, you know, I'll be told, like, man, we had this massive gift to help you know make this ministry happen or help this family out or whatever it is. Like I I hear things about some of the ways people give in our church, and it's incredible. In the last couple months, um, uh, obviously things have been hard for a lot of people uh, in our church, but outside of our church as well. And we've been able to give out of this fund that we have called the Compassion Fund. And we, I, I bet we haven't talked about the Compassion Fund in like eight or nine months. Um, you have to, if someone wants to give to the Compassion Fund, they have to specifically tell us that, that they want to give to that fund. And it's just a fund that we have. We split it 50-50, half to help the community, half to help our church community. And we've just been able to bless some people recently that have been really struggling with, with, with big bills or medical expenses or just all kinds of things. Like our church has been able to be really generous um, be, because uh, so many people in our body are really generous. And the early church, um, man, they, they loved to give. And, and that makes sense that God's people would love to give. Um, a, a church should be a, a place where, where we're, we're ready. We're ready to, to be a blessing as we've been blessed by the Lord. Verse 46, <clears throat> And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they, uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's, there's more that can be said there. They, I mean, they're gathering in the temple. I, I take that probably to be some, some formal, uh, formal gatherings together, but also in homes. And part of that was probably because there were so many of them that they, they had to meet in homes at times together. But they just were committed to each other. They loved being together. They, they recognized the gift that the church uh, is to, to the people of the church. John Stott said this. He said, the Christian life is not just a private affair of your own. If we are born again into God's family, not only has he become our father, but every other believer in the world, whatever his nation or denomination, has become our brother or sister in Christ. One of the common names for Christians in the New Testament is brethren. This is a glorious truth. But it is no good supposing that membership of the universal church of Christ is enough. We must belong to some local branch of it. Every Christian's place is in a local church, sharing in its worship, fellowship, 
and witness. And our hope is that, that this little church together, that, that we're committed to glorifying God, that, that we're committed to, to being together, that, that we don't uh, treat church like, um, like a restaurant or, or a hotel that we just come and, and, and we, we get what we want and, and then we leave when we want to, but the, that we would actually be committed to one another. Uh, there, there are uh, a lot of churches have what's called a, a covenant for their people. Uh, it's what they agree together formally. We, we don't have uh, a covenant, but, but it's, it's something that the churches use. That the members are, are making this, this promise to one another and to the leadership, and, and the leadership is promising to the members um, how, how they are going to uh, live as, as a body together. And I read several this week, really good stuff. Like there, are, there are different aspects of every church covenant that I read that, that, uh, that I just loved. I read one that was almost 130 years old, um, which I'm sure it's been changed uh, here and there uh, over the time. But, uh, but all of them, though, all of them had a really high level of commitment like the early church did. Um, we, we don't have that. We don't have membership at our church. So having a covenant, I'm not even sure how we could do that. I'm not sure. Maybe there's a way, but I, I don't know. Uh, we do have a document that, um, that we invite everyone who, who does call Harvest their church uh, to commit to. Every, everyone that, um, that is in ministry here, that, that teaches, um, that, that helps out in, in different ways here, um, they're, they're supposed to uh, take this document, look it over, and, and sign it in order to be able to serve. Um, uh, this, uh, this document's called, it's, it's a really creative name, it's the Statement of Commitments. Really exciting. Um, uh, I, I want to show I want to show you just just the, the the headers in our statement of commitments. I won't go through um, each one. Um, uh, and and actually, one that's not on there is uh, you you can't you can't really belong to the church if you if you haven't trusted yet in Jesus, right? Like you, if you don't know Jesus yet, we're glad to have you here, but. But you're not um, you're not fully a part of the church. The, the church is is Christ's body. Um, so so we, we we assume uh, we assume that we, we lay that out in here that that you need to you need to repent of, of sin and trust in, in Christ as your Savior in, in order to even commit to these things. But but we ask that um, that you care about your your personal spiritual life. That you're uh, you're trying to maintain a close relationship with Christ, right? Through reading scripture, through prayer, through confession of sin. Uh, we ask that, that uh, you're, you're part of the, the church community life, that, that participation on a Sunday, that you're here a lot, right? That you're here most of the time, um, that you're sharing in the Lord's Supper, that you're sharing in, in, in opportunities, that fellowship with believers. Um, we ask that you commit to discipleship, that you understand that every Christian is a disciple of Jesus and that you're committed to, to being discipled yourself in, in, so you grow in Jesus and also in making disciples. Um, we ask that you commit to relationships in the church community, that, that you practice the humility and, and, and sacrificial attitude 
uh, of Christ by, um, by considering the needs of others, that, that you pursue these Christ-centered relationships so, uh, so that you can grow in this, so brothers and sisters in Christ can grow. Um, uh, our leadership and, and unity in the church, you know, we, we ask that, that you commit to submitting to the leadership of our church and that you fight for unity and, 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 and peace in our church. I know fight for unity is probably a funny way to say it, but, um, but, but strive for unity. We ask that you commit to, uh, to being a good steward of, of what God has given you. Um, we ask that you, you, you commit to living for the advancement of the gospel, both locally and globally. We, we ask that, that, um, that you commit to discipline, both growing in, in self-discipline, uh, like we read about in Galatians, um, but also agreeing that, that yeah, you'll, you'll follow um, church discipline laid out um, in, in Scripture, that, that, that you would, would uh, pursue uh, helping a brother or sister um, in, in responding rightly uh, to God and rightly to their sin, and that you'd submit to church discipline if necessary. So I, I think there's a ton of good stuff in this document. Obviously, way more words than we put up there. I just put the headings up there for you. We've got a bunch of copies out on the back, and I would encourage you, if you haven't, if you haven't grabbed this document before, you haven't looked at it, I would encourage you to look at it and, and see, um, like, are you, or consider, are you committed to this church, and will you commit to these Things. Now, the only people, um, the only people that, that have to do this is, like I said, people serving in, in ministry. So this does fall short. Like you could take this document home today. You could agree in your heart to be committed to it, but no one, no one would, uh, would know that. Um, so if you, if you want to, I'd love for you to, to look at that. And if you do agree to it and, and, and you're like, yes, I, I want, this is my church and I want to be committed to it. Um, I'd love for you to, to tell me or, or even sign the document and give it to me if you want. Um, but, but a, a church is, is, uh, it's God's people, and we're called to, to be committed, to take seriously what we have in this, this body of Christ together. Last week, um, we spent a lot of time talking about the Lord's Supper. We got to take the Lord's Supper for the first time in like maybe nine months together. I, I heard that uh, someone, um, someone said this week that uh, they, didn't, they didn't anticipate how good it was going to be to take the Lord's Supper together and that, and that it, it like awoke something in them that it, they didn't even realize was lying dormant. The, the comment I heard most um, from, from last week was uh, talking about the comparison of, of uh, baptism, um, uh, taking uh, the binding the, the one, the person baptized to the many, to the church, and, and, and communion, making the many, the, the church, one, uniting us in Christ. And it's when we take communion that we're, like I said, we're reaffirming our covenant with Christ by his blood and we're affirming our commitment, our covenant with one another as this local church. 